Welcome to the first 2022 episode of Ready to Launch, a podcast series on entrepreneurship in the MENA region. A joint collaboration between Riada, a Wilson Center podcast, of which I, Marissa Khurma, am host, and the straight-up startup from Amman, Jordan, with host Raja Isahuri. And Happy New Year from all of us. We're kicking off the year with a deep dive into the latest findings of Asta BCW Arab Youth Survey with its founder and president, Sunil John. We will get a rare look into the 2021 findings on where youth stand today in the Arab world, their hopes and aspirations for the future, but also the challenges they face, namely in the labor market. And in addition to chatting with Sunil about the survey, we will also talk to a young entrepreneur about the findings, Eli Habib, CTO and co-founder of Anrami, the first legal music streaming platform and digital distribution company in the Arab world. So Lynn and Eli, welcome to the show. And I'm going to start with you, Sunil, um, and, and the Arab Youth Survey. You founded the Arab Youth Survey. You've compiled very impressive data that we at the Wilson Center's Middle East program follow every year. So tell us more about the survey. How do you conduct it and why do you do it annually? Thank you, Melissa, uh, for, for first of all, organizing this podcast on such an important subject. I also want to thank Wilson Center as well for doing uh, such an important initiative. Uh, I think uh, in terms of why we did the survey way back, we started this in 2008, the initial idea came simply because, you know, as a firm, we, when we consulted with clients in this region, as you know, we are, a, we are the, one of the leading public relations consultancies globally and also in the Middle East and North Africa region. You know, one of the key questions that came up is, what is this region really all about? And when you re really look at it, 400 million people in a vast range of countries, but what defines the Middle East and North Africa region is its young demographic. 60% of the population below the age of 30. So when you really look at, if you want to understand the Middle East and North Africa region or what's called the Arab world, you need to understand the Arab youth. 200 million people, the critical mass that influences the success of governments, of businesses, of institutions in this region. But when we really looked at, the, at, at that particular demographic, such an important demographic, one of the biggest problems that everybody faced was the lack of data. You know, we, I attended many conferences where people said, oh, we need to be able to unlock the potential of the Arab youth, the youth dividend, as they said. But nobody really knew what did the Arab youth want. And that inspired us to start the survey way back in 2008. And, and we, we have actually consistently built on that first survey of just nine countries to 17, uh, you know, countries across the Arab world in the Gulf, in the Levant, and North Africa. And today, uh, in 2021, we launched our 13th edition, which is the largest study of its kind of the Arab world's largest demographic. And we conducted, of course, face-to-face -face interviews uh, with 3,400 Arab youth in these 17 nations. And over the, over the 13 years, we have conducted over 40,000 
interviews, all face-to-face. Remember, Merisa, this is not online surveys. They are face-to-face, so much more credible in terms of information. So that's how we started. And to your second question, which is why do we do this? I think we do this because it is extremely important for governments and business businesses to know what's out there in the fe- in in the in the in the on the field. You know, what do young people say? And the survey really provides that multiple impact for the voices of these Arab youth. What we do is bring that to policymakers in government, to business decision makers, so it informs their policy making and 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 the strategy that they develop. And that's why we we uh, we bring this every year. Of course, survey done by PSB Ins- uh, Insights, which is a global strategic research and analytics analytics con- uh, consultancy, and we've been working with PSB over these years. So the, before I turn this to, to Rajai, because I know he has a set of questions um, about the survey as well. Um, yes, it's absolutely unique to the to the region that we have such a large youth population. Um, and I've been following the survey. It's fascinating data. And you said that, you know, the, the target audience for this is, is primarily also governments and policymakers. So what are some of the reactions that you get from some, some of the governments of the countries you're surveying? Oh, the, the, in the beginning, Marissa, nobody really took much notice of our survey in the, in the first couple of years. But something happened in 2011 where the survey became a necessary reading for government, businesses, institutions across the world, not just in the region. The, the, when, you, when you looked at the data in 8, 9, and 10, if somebody read those findings, and they're all available on our website, ArabYouthSurvey.com, you could see the Arab Spring happening. You know over 90% of the Arab youth in 2018, our first survey said, one of our biggest desires is to live in a democracy. So when you really look at that, you can, you know, this is trackable data. Mm-hmm. And, and if you really look at the insights, you can see what's happening on the ground. And we've been, and we've, we've been looking at those insights and how the reality of the situation is changing on the ground is, is fascinating to see. So how have, how have governments reacted? I think they look at they are now looking at it extremely seriously. We do uh, special briefings for governments, especially in the Gulf, uh, in some parts of North, uh, uh, North Africa as well. But we are also invited to uh, international forums, uh, such as the IMF World Bank meetings in Washington, D.C., to uh, think tank forums, uh, including yours here in, the D- in, in Washington, D.C., as well as uh, with others in, in London and in other parts of Europe as well. Because this is an important subject. The Middle East and North Africa is an important part of the world. And it's not just, you know, uh, governments in the region, but governments across the world want to know uh, what is is really happening uh, in the Arab world. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, it's very encouraging that um, governments are listening um, and that they're taking this seriously because we often heard you know, youth being framed as a constant challenge rather than an opportunity. Um, and I'm glad that that you continue to do this annually. So you're also able to see um, to see trends. Um, Rajai, I'm yeah. going to invite you to um, 
Go ahead Fantastic. and ask her. Yes, thank you. Sunil, thank you so much for uh, for being here and uh, thank you for your time. And like, I want to tackle uh, now the survey with you. And so um, the survey title was Hope for the Future, uh, reflecting the optimism of youth, but also provides insight on issues such as unemployment, which is a significant challenge in the region. And specifically in my country, Jordan, where youth unemployment stands today at 50%, according to the World Bank data. And, you know, Sunil, like I fall into that uh, segment, especially the, uh, the target segment you have, um, you have initiated. And like we see that, uh, we see that a lot because I also studied here and, and you know, I see my fellow peers and, and graduates uh, go, uh, going through this hardship. So how serious is the unemployment can you tell us more about the findings related to youth unemployment? Absolutely. I think, uh, Raja, you, you mentioned some very pertinent, num pertinent numbers, especially. You know, globally, youth unemployment, as per World Bank, is roughly about 13.5%. In the region, as per World Bank, again, it's, up, it's around 25%, the highest in the world. And as you just mentioned, in your home country in Jordan, it's likely to be about 50%. In the populous countries like Egypt, it's close to 40 to 50% as well. So this is a very, very big problem. And when we asked the, the, the cohort in the 13th survey, we did a survey in June 2021, uh, what came out, the finding is that 84% of the youth across the region are concerned about unemployment, which means, Rajay, that's eight young people out of 10. This is the number one problem in the young people's mind. And mm -hmm. when you track the data, when you go back to 2016, that number was 75%, still high, but when from 2016 to 2021, from 75 yeah. to 84%, 9% increase is significant. So it's a very big problem in people's minds. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to... Um, uh, Rajai, do you have a follow-up? No, no, please go ahead, Marissa. Yeah, just, just um, zooming into this, um, Sunil, because we at the Middle East program have been um, really focused on the unemployment challenge through the Workforce Development Initiative. And we published a report trying to understand this workforce formula. Um, why do we constantly see, as you said, the MENA region with the highest unemployment rate worldwide? Um, what is it that's not... Um, being done on the part of the government or on the part of the private sector. And we, we analyzed it in terms of, you know, this workforce formula of supply and demand. And on the supply side, there's the education system. So um, I wonder if this is an issue that came up in the survey. Um, are Arab youth satisfied with the education system? Do they, do they feel that it's preparing them for, for the challenges of, um, of uh, finding a job or the workforce? Uh, I think, Melissa, that's, that's, you're absolutely on point on, on actually you know, delving into the source of the problem. You know, I think when you really look at all of the problems in the Middle East, uh, you know, the one solution as I say, the top three solutions are education, education, and education. Seriously, that's the one thing that governments and private businesses should be looking at. Mm -hmm. and, and, and delving down into the numbers as well, as much as the young people in the region are concerned about unemployment, you know, they have, are extremely dis dissatisfied with the quality of education they receive. 
especially in the context of the COVID situation that happened. Remember, we did this last survey in June 2021. And what, what we found is that nine in 10 young Arabs, 87% are concerned about the quality of education that they receive. And that anxiety is spread across the region. Sometimes we see differences in the Gulf, in the Levant and North Africa. But here, 85% of the Arab youth in the GCC were concerned about the quality of education. Wow. Similarly, 88% in North Africa and a similar 88% in the Levantine countries, including Jordan, of course. And young people say that the COVID-19 pandemic has further worsened the education experience. So when you really look at it, I think that's where governments need to be able to look at. Is the education system producing young Arabs that are right for the market? Are they creating, making them ready for the jobs of the future? The world's changing with new technologies. But what about these young people? Are they ready for that? That's a big challenge that, that I think a lot of governments are grappling with. And they're doing a lot of effort there. I must, I must again co uh, commend these governments for having addressed that issue. But have they addressed it enough? Are they agile? Are they fast enough? Because the world's moving at a huge pace. Will the region be left behind uh, in the new uh, uh, you know, digital age that we are entering into? That's a big, big question that, uh, that uh, decision makers need to address very, very quickly. Uh, absolutely. And, um, and those numbers are also really high. Like that's very high dissatisfaction with the education system. Um, we also have seen that, and that's from our research and, you know, available data that, um, you know, most um, youth tend to fall into the public sector, you know, um, employment, because that's what they've seen their parents do or sometimes that's the messaging that they hear in school or or at home um so how do you um how do you encourage youth to take more leaps of faith more risks and maybe try the private sector what what does what does the survey tell us about uh that particular um aspect it's a, it's a very important uh, question, uh, Marisa. And while I, I did, uh, did uh, share with you some depressing data, uh, here's some very interesting and, and a much more positive data that I'd like to share with you. I think in the past, we've seen uh, over the last 13 years that youth across the region, with absolutely no exception, preferred a government job. That was their ambition because it was steady, mm -hmm. uh, it was permanent, and they were, they were happy and safe to have that government job. But right. as we know, across the region, governments have maxed out. They can't create more jobs. And obviously, the young people, they're much more pragmatic in their approach. And they have seen that they need to be able to do something about creating jobs themselves. And we have seen over, over the last three years, an absolute, a, a definite drop in a preference to work for government. For instance, in 2021, 42% prefer to work in government. It's still high, but it's a drop from nearly 50% three years ago. Working for myself or my family uh, was has risen from 16% in 2019 to 25% now. You know, that's the entrepreneurial spirit that is rising up among the Arab youth because they want to find a solution for themselves. 
Right. Working for the private sector, of course, Marissa has dropped a bit from 28% to 23%. So mm-hmm. we are seeing a definite increase in, uh, in, in Arab youth looking at working for themselves. When we ask the question, of course, another important data, very positive, when we ask them, do you intend to start your own business within the next five years? Mm-hmm. And the answer was 43% said, yes, we want to start a business in the next five years. And look at the jump, Eight, uh, 29% in 2018, moving to 43% in 2021. This is a, a, a real uh, beautiful green shoot finding of our survey that young people want to start their business. And then, of course, Marissa, we come to the question of what do they want their governments to do to help them create these jobs? And here, you know, they, they talk about financial services, you know, the lack of financial resources to be do that. And what can governments do to be able to cut some red tape and provide more loans for these young people to start their businesses? This is very interesting. And like you said, there's sort of a mix of depressing data, but also um, some um, some hope and silver linings. Um, I think um, I'm, I'm going to pass this on now to Rajai to, to bring Eli into the discussion um, as a young yes. entrepreneur from the region. Um, so on to you, Rajai. Thank you. Welcome, Eli. Uh, I'm going to give away another, uh, like a brief intro about you. So Eli is the co-founder of Angami. He founded it uh, along with his uh, partner, Edi Maroon. And Angami means my tunes in Arabic. And uh, and as we all know, Angami is the leading music uh, streaming service in the Middle East. And and in less than a year since launching, Angami has reached over 3.7 million users and streams close to 5 million Arabic and English tracks. Eli, welcome and thank you so much for your time. Hello, Rajay. Thank you um, for welcoming me. I, I guess the data you just put is really seriously old data when we launched like probably a year after launching uh we currently have uh close to 58 million songs and over 70 million users so numbers significantly changed since since then thankfully yeah no absolutely no it's it's uh, it's of course seeding and we see you on on uh we see Angami listed on nasdaq but like uh we mentioned that as, as as part of of you guys' first launch. So this is very inspiring for other uh, youth to see how how that has come across. And which I, which actually uh, uh, brings me to my first question about you. And uh, as we said, uh, you know, uh, as this kind of like your first success, uh, uh, like Anram Anrami is actually your fifth uh, startup, uh, which 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 probably most people don't know about you. People know you about from, uh, uh, know you from Angami. So can you tell us more about your entrepreneurial journey? Yes, thank you. Uh, honestly, I don't know the word entrepreneur. I mean, when I, when I uh, was young, you know, uh, growing up in Lebanon, it was kind of war. I mean, there was the war and it's like ongoing type, whatever, some type of war. And I, I actually found in computers, you know, some, uh, you know, it, it computers allowed me to use my imagination and create something because I couldn't actually go create the games and play on the street like every other kid in the world. Uh, so I started on that early on. And then prior to 
uh, going to university, I had decided what I wanted to do, and I was pretty good at it. And I started building software and selling it. And I've always been doing that and creating products and selling them and marketing them. So I, I never knew the word entrepreneur. I knew the word is like I'm doing something that I enjoy and I can actually make money out of it and I can be independent. So I started my first company when I was before university, uh, my second just out of university. And, and it's been ongoing since then. I've made multiple companies in totally different areas, uh, you know, from accounting to restaurants to uh, uh, e-commerce to portal to a, a, a telco company. I mean, telcos as in selling, uh, creating services for telcos as in SMS, MMS gateways. And then on Rami, for me, it was always, I mean, I've never been employed in my life uh, because I always felt I can do something. Uh, maybe I was precocious in some way or another, but I represent right now what, what the people now in the region, they want to they prove themselves through doing something. This is so inspiring, Eli, um, that, you know, you're doing this because you've followed your passions and you're doing something that, um, that you're passionate about and that, that you enjoy. And, and this is very much in line with what we've, um, we've heard from Sunil about where youth are at in terms of starting their own business and being self-employed. Um, but the, da the data that we've also um, um, looked at um, indicated that um, only 8% of Arab youth think that it's easy to start a business. So there are challenges there. This is very much in line with the research that we have conducted in our own analysis at, um, at MEP. Um, did you face challenges starting your uh, businesses? And, and what do you think um, youth are confronted with? I guess, you know, when I, when I started, it was way harder to create a business. Uh, when I when mm -hmm. I started on Rami, raising funds was kind of extremely hard. When we raised our first million dollar, I, it was kind of like amazing that we were able to do that. Right now, you can raise way easier. The point is, uh, it's it's always hard when you're not into it. And it doesn't get easier when in, when you're into creating something. It just gets, um, you know, you get comfortable with it. I think for 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 many it feels hard, and mm -hmm. it does feel hard, and it has to feel hard. Otherwise, if it does not, if it feels very easy to start a business, you'll see everyone having their own business. There's no one working in corporates. It does feel at the beginning that. Uh, it has. You, you have to jump. You have to trust in everything, uh, and to to actually decide that you want to jump over. And generally speaking, what makes it harder is that you, you're in your comfort zone, and mm -hmm. your parents, the parents, generally do not actually tell people, "Oh, go start your own business." I mean, uh, that's not what what people want to uh, you know uh, want to do. So. I don't. I have no idea what would be the metric in terms of the comparable of the eight percent, let's say, in in Europe or the US. But I I tend to believe that when I started my own business, the number of people who wanted to start their own was extremely smaller than that number. 
I mean, nobody, I mean, everybody told me don't. And on every new business, I was mm -hmm. getting, you know, offers to join a different, uh, join a company. And I was kind of, I trusted myself. I, I trusted I can do something. I did not exactly, you know, think about passion back in the days. But I thought as if someone else was doing it, then I can do it. Right now, I feel that the youth uh, feels it's overwhelming to start a business because they they look at the complexities of things. Mm -hmm. But then again, after working in, in other businesses, it gets easier for them. And that is what what makes that number higher. You know, from when you're in university, the university does not exactly prepare the prepare youth to right. actually this is the relevant to the education that Sunil was talking about. Mm -hmm. University does not prepare you to jump uh, to jumping over into the workforce. It's only when you are in the workforce that it sounds interesting for you to jump over. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and like you said, it's in line with, uh, with the Arab Youth Survey um, data on this issue. Um, and it's also a matter of the pedagogy that we've seen in, in, in Arab educational systems, which is very much focused on, um, you know, memorization versus critical thinking, um, or even, you know, taking risks. Uh, you know, Sunil mentioned um, that in in um, in the data, um, you know, referencing um, wanting to work with the public sector or with the government, that some of the reasons are, uh, you know, have to do with that job being steady, and not many people see that with the private sector. But you make a very good point about this learning by doing in the in the in the private sector prepares youth with the necessary skills to basically be able to jump out into the ecosystem and start um, their own business. Rajai? Absolutely, Marissa. And I, and, I, uh, and I totally agree in terms of, uh, I totally agree with also how, um, you know, everyone needs to uh, learn at the job, not everything goes into uh, university. Uh, so Eli, Sunil has mentioned that, or like Sunil has mentioned from the Arab Youth Survey, that the youth interest in entrepreneurship rose from 29% in 2018 to 43% in 2021. In your opinion, why this big jump? Is it the pandemic that propelled people to take more risks? What changed from your perspective? Can you let us know more? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. I think it's uh, uh, success stories from other people. You know, what, what gets someone want to create a business is not that the, someone that he doesn't know or the, is, has created a business. Uh, and, you know, because it does not inspire them exactly. But once you start actually hearing success out of, uh, uh, out of someone that you're probably familiar with, that you've read uh, about, that you see growing, uh, that, mm -hmm. uh, that success inspires you. The point is that there's a, there have been a lot of success stories, whether it's small, uh, whether it's someone that's creating his own uh, online shop and selling on Instagram and, you know, doing business and growing, or is that that big company that started competing uh, with Uber, like Kareem, and then eventually grew and like everybody started using it in, in uh, around the region. People want to actually mm -hmm. started associating themselves with brands that, that are closer to them, that they know, and they knew that came from the region, 
And then they started to understand that, okay, maybe we can also do something similar because they've seen it. They've seen it started from small and be growing up uh, to, be, to be large. And that actually gets you to, to figure out maybe also I can do it. And this is relevant also to the per percentage of people uh, that, that said they want to work in the government and then now it's less, lesser than that. Why? Because it's in the government usually uh, indicates that safety. So, okay, I'm going to work in the government. I, I'm going to be safe. I don't have to worry about anything. But at the same time, it's the, probably the inverse of ambition. Uh, the more people wanted to be entrepreneurs, the more they actually figure out, okay, maybe I can do something on my own because that might be a boring job at the government. So those two numbers correlate uh, together, indicate the correlation, indicate that people really aspire to do more. And obviously, the more that the education system is going to get better, as indicated earlier, the more people, the more the youth are going to have a higher confidence of jumping earlier on. And for me, it's like that education thing, we, we need to keep on hitting on it, mm -hmm. talking about it, uh, because this is the bigger problem in the room. This is the biggest elephant. This is the number that really you look at it and figure out, oh my God, where are, where are we still? And when you talk to, pe to, to people that come up from university, you realize that they don't know how to sell. Not right. sell as in sell something in the shop, but they don't know how to sell their ideas, mm -hmm. sell themselves, sell, have confidence and, you know, being able to pitch an idea. This is something that's, that university does not teach you. And this is where, since they don't teach you, you will never have confidence and, in, in in, you know, jumping out of the comfort zone, whether it's a government or whether it's a safe desk job. The, thanks, Ali, for these points. Um, I want to go back to first the importance of um, sharing success stories um, and role models. I think this is so important, um, but I think it's equally important, and that's why we have this podcast in the first place, to make sure that young people from the region hear the entire story, that they're not only seeing the, the tip, right, of or the success, because it is a journey of um, of struggle, of challenge, and ups and downs, um, uh, and I and I sometimes it's um, it doesn't um, it doesn't seem that um, you know Arab culture is conducive to sharing stories of failure or challenge or shortcomings. Um, so how do you how do you talk to other entrepreneurs about ensuring that you are one of these role models and that you're sharing? your entire story, the, the ups and downs. Uh, thank you for that. I think you, you, that is a very, very, very valid point. Uh, people don't want to start because they, they're afraid of failing. And that is a kind of major problem we have because we don't talk about failures. Uh, failures are, uh, I'm not saying people should fail. Uh, what I'm saying is like, if people talk about their failures that will teach others about what to do and what probably to avoid and this is a problem that our heroes are are all people who've suddenly somehow succeeded and 
they don't actually want to talk about the problems that they faced. This yeah. is a stigma that we have in the Arab world because people are afraid to discuss failures and we're getting a bit better. Not that better. Uh, because, you know, if you look at stories, uh, uh, people tend to want to hide or ashamed of talking about that because this is part of, uh, you know, Arabs as a, you know, as a, not, I, I don't want to say as a species, but as a culture, our culture usually is inducive to success. Uh, people want to talk about the successes. I don't want to talk about failures. Now, entrepreneurs in private circles started mm -hmm. doing that, right? They started doing that because they, they trust other people who are entrepreneurs. They don't trust right. people who aren't really entrepreneurs. So in private circles, we've done multiple, uh, you know, a small, a smallish events or gatherings whereby we've spoken about problems, our failures, about, uh, about issues that we can't really talk uh, mm -hmm. in the public, not because we don't want to talk about them, but because they're, they're, they're still not very uh, tolerated, or I don't know whether the word is tolerated or not, but um, yeah. people are still ashamed of talking about that. So generally speaking, when you see a, a startup, let's say, uh, an entrepreneur launching a startup, you, you have a lot of press covering the launch of the startup. When right. a startup dies, nobody talks about it. I mean, you can't find a press article talking about a startup, you know, that decided to uh, fire uh, the employees or terminate services and all of that. And but you, you, uh, fortunately enough, in the in the past uh, few years, there has been a couple that has been discussed, but still, it's it it needs much more than that. And it need, what also we need to understand, what also we need is that the people who failed in their businesses to explain the, what they should have done better, that empowers the people to, to understand that, okay, those people failed, but then they, there is a post-mortem and there is a way for all of us to learn from those failures. Absolutely. And what I'm hearing here, which is really interesting, is that it's not just the reluctance of Arab youth or, um, or, you know, or um, Arabs in general to share or talk about failure, but that also the space to um, share those stories or shortcomings is also limited, that it's not well received. And so this is a really interesting point because, you know, the media should be able to delve into some of these stories to understand um, what's going on? Because as you stated in the end, it's about lessons learned, and that's what propels you um, forward and helps you um, with your business. Rajai, absolutely, Marissa, and I and I uh, and I totally agree also with Habib that uh, it's also a culture of 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 having it uh, like normalized more often rather than shaming it. So, Eli, uh, thank you so much for your time, and also Sunil, and I just want to ask you, Eli, for your um, before you launch Words of Wisdom, what would you like to say to men and women uh, in the region or, or like everywhere who wants to start a business, but they're a bit uh, reluctant, they're hesitant? What would you like to say? What, what are your words of wisdom? Rajai, can I come in on one aspect before Eli answers that important question? 
Yes, absolutely. Please go ahead. Okay. You know, uh, Eli is a very modest man. And I think uh, the story of Angami, as Melissa said, you know, the importance of role models. You know, Angami started less than 10 years ago. And today it is the number one music streaming platform in the MENA market. It has 58% market share, you know, and it is larger than Spotify in this region. What Eli and, uh, and his, his partner, uh, co-founder, co Eddie Maroon, did was to create a world beater. And you mentioned the listing. Uh, Angami will be the first Arab tech brand to list on NASDAQ in early February. Oh. And that is something we should really celebrate about because these role models will, as Eli rightly said, will encourage more young people to say it can be done. Mm -hmm. And Angami and Eli is, are great examples that we should all celebrate. Thank you for sharing, Sunil. Uh, you know, we all know that our region needs a lot of these uh, success stories and a lot of this uh, good news. Uh, thank you. Uh, go going back to the question of Rajai, so uh, I honestly feel that we we have a tendency to work alone and not share uh, um, even ideas. People people are afraid to launch because they're afraid to fail and they're afraid to share and get feedback on their ideas before launching. So generally speaking, at most, you're going to find someone that, that have an idea working on an idea and ends up staying a few years working on the idea because he does not want to share this uh, his thought process with others because he's afraid that his idea might fail or he's afraid his idea gets stolen. What I would want to say to, 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 to youth who's listening and who have ideas in mind is like, please go out, please write out your idea, talk about it, uh, launch it, build it, create anything, create something small, validate your ideas. And if it works, then get people around you to, to embrace you, to, uh, to give you uh, feedback on how you can make the idea better. And then go out and make it. But first, maybe learn from others. I, I started and I've built my career by doing everything on myself. And I made uh, one million and one mistakes till, till I got to where I am right now. And I'm still making mistakes uh, by the dozen. Uh, but the point is, it would be great if one uh, realizes that, you know, back in the days, you used to go practice in a business with with uh, with the certain goal of you know I want to I want to build something like that business later on right it might have been your I don't know create, creating shoes or creating anything that thing that was uh, that a lot of people started doing back in the days whereby people would learn with the aspiration of building you know you go work with, mm -hmm. uh, in, in a place with the aspiration of building a better business after it. So that is what we should do. This is, and we should be talking to each other. We should be sharing lessons and sharing failures. And eventually, I think we will be we will be better off. The the youth surveys, the Arab youth surveys over the past few years, as Sunil uh, indicated, have shown that people have hope right now. The youth mm -hmm. have hope significantly better than before. Uh, even though through COVID, we have better hopes. 
those hopes are we will build on top of successes and of top of learnings and hopefully if we push a bit the education system uh, push a bit the governments to really make a change in the education system i think we're going to be just fine uh, I, I i am very proud of the people who work in rami who started who wanted to learn and who really are doing great and you know we're competing with giants in the world uh, from the region I don't know people we we built a product by the people from the people to the people all Arab people have created it and we were able to scale and thankfully get to Nasdaq that this is an indication that everyone you know can build an idea and and make whatever impossible actually very possible Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Eli. This was so uplifting. Um, uh, a perfect start for our 2022 um, uh, podcast series. Um, and um, everything that you and Sunil have talked about so far, um, get, go, get us back to this theme that I think has emerged um, from the episode, that um, things are not static in the region, that there is hope, and that culture in particular is evolving around entrepreneurship, around education, um, around you know how to share, how to how to work with others, and and how um, to fail and be okay with it, um, even if it takes a little bit of time. So, uh, on behalf of Rajai uh, and myself, thank you so much, Eli. Thank you, Sunil, uh, for your time and your insight, um, and congratulations once again, Eli. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you, Rajai. Thank you. This podcast is funded by a grant from the United States Department of State. The opinions, findings, and conclusions of this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Department of State.